Here's a theme song, you know it's not a mean song It's a good song, just as it should song American Brews and Tunes Wow, welcome back to another fun episode of American Brews and Tunes My name is Stephen Johnston I'm Becca yeah, that's right. We have a guest host this week because Jesse is moving. Um, for those of you who have listened to the podcast, you may recognize the name Becca. For those of you who don't, Becca is my wife. Yep. So she will be uh, ghost he- guest hosting. <laughs> I was going to say ghost hosting. That's not right. Ghosting. Guest hosting this episode, which is episode number 109. Oh, wow. Um, the original plan, I know, was to review Childish Gambinos because of the internet, but... Uh, Change of plan. We're going to be reviewing Folklore by Taylor Swift. Yahoo! Um, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about some brews, as we always do in American Brews and Tunes. Um, it is the tail end of dry January. Um, if you've been paying attention, you'll know that we have been having non-alcoholic beers on the podcast for the past three weeks, and this will be the last week that we do it. Um, some people may be familiar with Odul's. Or, I believe, Bush has a non-alcoholic beer. Um, but we didn't want to have any of those. We wanted to have some craft beers. So we, we've had Lagunitas. We've had Brewdog. And this week, we're having another beer from Athletic Brewing Company. Uh, two episodes ago, we had a stout from them. But this week, we have the Free Wave, which is a non-alcoholic double hop IPA. Um, have you ever had any non-alcoholic beers, Becca? No, I've only had a sip or two of ones that you've had, but I've never like sat and drank a whole one. But it sounds right up my alley because alcohol makes me sleepy. Yeah, and you're also not a fan of hops. No, I'm not. It's a little too... Women can taste more bitter flavors than men can, so I think that's why I don't like hops. Makes sense. Um, But anyways, here's a description of this beer that I found on Untapped. It says, Our Free Wave Double Hop IPA is meant for the open road. Whether you're cruising the Pacific Coast Highway in a convertible or tracing your way up the coast on a bike, our Free Wave doesn't cut corners. This mouth-watering IPA is loaded with Amarillo, Citra, and Mosaic hops. You'll want to grab a few for the road. And you can. Yes, you can. You can you can drink this while driving, theoretically. Right in the cup holder. Yeah, because it is non-alcoholic. I mean, it yeah. says contains less than 0.5%, which well, I don't, is yeah. that's less than 1%. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might be a silly question, but did you get ID'd when you purchased this? Um, I don't, you know what? I don't really remember. Because. But I also did get a, I, I bought this at Craft Brewed in Nashville and before I did that, I had a uh, a five ounce pour of a Goose Island beer, mm. so I was ID'd for that. Mm. So I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming they probably would have ID'd me. I don't know. Johnny, one of our friends, Johnny, had tried to buy Odul's once before he was 18, and then before would... he was 21, and they ID'd him and wouldn't sell it to him. Really? <laughs> yeah. Even though it's which is kind of strange. I don't know. Very weird. But so Odul's also contains like a very small. Potentially. Percentage. But so does. I remember hearing a story in the news where a teacher gave her students O'Doul's for some project they were working on. 
because she thought it was like non-alcoholic and the parents were like in an uproar about it because they read on there that there was a li- just a little, a portion. little portion of alcohol. Yeah, makes sense why they might get upset at that, but I don't know. If there's no alcohol in it, I don't know. If you if you were like to have any effects of alcohol from a non-alcoholic beer, you'd have to drink like 30 or some absurd amount. But anyways, I have fairly low expectations for this. Of the other IPAs that we've had on here, they haven't had much of a body or a mouthfeel. Like watery? Yeah, watery. And then okay. it kind of dissipates in your mouth. Like it feels like a seltzer water almost, like a hoppy water. Okay. Um, but so this like is... when, if you're comparing seltzer water to soda with like all that sugar and flavor? I guess. Okay. Um, but if you had to, to describe the beer that you're seeing as I pour it, what would you say? Um, To me, it looks like cream soda. Like it has that. It looks a lot more carbonated to me than a normal beer. I don't know if that's. But the head looks like a beer. Like you see how it's it's kind of retaining the, the foam on top. That's what a beer looks like. One of the the um, the brew dog and the Lagunitas didn't retain a head very much. Really. So this one kind of it still kind of looks like a beer, but it does look more Do you carbonated. See the bubbles though. Yeah. Yeah. Super carbonated. Yeah. So that might be the case. Now I had a beer once that I remember was super carbonated. Yeah, any beer could be super carbonated. Just depends. Mm -hmm. Um, On the smell, I mean, it smells like hot pellets. It doesn't smell. It doesn't smell. I'm not getting any malty notes. It just smells like hops. I get a little bit of sweetness from it. Like a a vanilla sweetness almost, but it's just hoppy. It kind of reminds me of. If you were to go to a candle store and they had an IPA scented candle, not in a bad way. Yeah, I, I would buy that candle if it smelled like this. Like it smells like just IPA candle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and give it a try. I'm sure you've heard us say this phrase before, but now you get to be part of it. As you always say on American Brews and Tunes, down the hatch. Um, oh, it's it's sweeter than I anticipated. Um, the hops are there, but they're not really aggressive. It's, See, was... it's a little soapy. Hmm. Um, the mouth feels a little thicker than I, I expected. I was going to say that it feel it doesn't taste as the only way I know how to describe it is watery as some of the other non-alcoholic beers that I took a sip of. But like to me, if I took a sip of this, I might not think it was non-alcoholic. You might be tricked. So if that's the case, yeah. then job well done, I guess. I think so. Like to me, I can taste the hops. Yeah. Like that hit me right away. It's not as aggressive as I was anticipating for a double hopped IPA, oh, yes. as they say. Okay. Um, and I do get some strange sweet vanilla notes, which I'm not really sure why they're coming in there, but it's not bad. Yeah. I think I like this better than some of the ones we've had. I think I might like the smell better than the taste. Oh, but that's, that's fine. To each their own. But it's still good. I would drink it. Yeah. Well, you've got a little while to finish the rest of whatever you have in your cup. So let's say that we move on to the music. So as we said before, this is Taylor Swift's album Folklore released in 2020. 
Um, strangely enough, not her most recent album, though, but we'll get into that. Um, this song was written and recorded entirely during the COVID-19 lockdown, which is not many albums have, have been like that. A lot of the albums that were released in 2020 were worked on before COVID. Um, so it's interesting that this one was written, recorded, and everything was done and released all in during coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all done in less than a year since her previous release. Yes. Lover came out 11 months before this one. Mm-hmm. And no one was in the same room. Correct. It was all done um, what do you, Remote. remotely. Yeah, remotely, <laughs> yeah. 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 She worked with Jack Antonoff um, and Aaron Desner. Jack Antonoff has done a lot of producing. He's got a lot of credits to his name. And Aaron Desner is the guitar player from The National. We've reviewed one of their albums on this podcast before. Um, they're kind of a, like an, I don't want to say Americana, but they're like an in, like a indie rock band. I think they always, every time they release an album, it's usually up for a Grammy for the most part. Um, but Jack Antonoff and Taylor Swift had collaborated before many times, um, including 1989, the album, the album Reputation, and the previous album Lover. All fantastic. Yes, this is true. Um, but anyways, after being stuck in quarantine, uh, Taylor Swift, she, she had said that she'd been watching a ton of movies, reading a lot of books, getting inspired a lot. Um, there's a whole list of them. I'm sure you can find them if you, if you look into it. Um, but she really got inspired by other people's stories. So she kind of let that fuel her inspiration and she was getting visuals pop, like popping into her head. That's how she was saying it. Um Where's my phone? I have a good quote from her talking about her visuals, if you want me to talk about that. Yeah. Because it's it's kind of a weird, vague statement if someone says she had visuals popping into her head, giving her inspiration. Mm-hmm. So here's what Taylor said. She said, It started with imagery, visuals that popped into my mind and piqued my curiosity. Stars drawn around scars. A cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later. Battleships sinking in the ocean, down, down, down. The tree swing in the woods of my childhood. Hushed tones of let's run away and never doing it. The sun-drenched month of August, sipped away like a bottle of wine. A mirrored disco ball hovering in the dance floor. A whiskey bottle beckoning. Hands held through plastic. A single thread that, for better or for worse, ties you to your fate. Pretty soon, these images in my head grew faces or names and became characters. I found myself not only writing my own stories, but also writing about or from the perspective of people I've never met, people I've known, or those I wish I hadn't. So um, all of those images pretty much come back through the album. I'm sure when I was listing those off, I was probably ringing some bells in your head at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's quite an interesting. I, I know when I when I write songs, that's not what usually gets gets my uh, creative juices flowing is images like that. So it's different. I don't know. Maybe she was picked up some Im- images from the movies or books or who knows. Maybe it just popped into her head. Um, but I don't know if you knew this. The initial plan was to release the album in early 2021. No, I did not know that. Uh, but it was finished early, and in her words, if you make something you love, you should just put it out into the world. Um, Jack. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Aaron Desner was talking about how they would kind of send instrumentals back and forth, and like he'd have almost a, f- a fully finished instrumental he'd send to her, and within an hour she would send back the complete lyrics done to the song. Wow. 
And he was like, wow, I, he's like, this will probably take us a really long time to do. And he's like, I guess not. Um, so that's pretty crazy. Um, uh, like I said, it didn't come out in 2021. It came out in 2020. It was announced 16 hours prior to its release. Yes. So surprise. Um, it met critical success across the board. Um, many were really excited about the stripped back, like the indie, folky, ballady nature of the record. Um, considering the past like, two or three albums were solely pop albums for Taylor Swift. So this one was really different. Um, even Pitchfork, I don't know if you listen to them, it's usually kind of pretentious, stuck-up music nerds on that site. Um, like They gave um, Mac Miller's album, Blue Slide Park, it was either one or zero, I think. Wow. Maybe same thing with Childish Cambino's camp. I can't remember, but um, they're usually harsh. They gave it eight out of ten, which is really pretty good. Uh, but I don't hold much weight to what they say because no. they're, they're stuck up. But, uh, I mean, if they gave it out of 10, that means something, I guess. Um, it's currently nominated for five Grammys. Um, album of the Year, Best Pop Vocal Album, Song of the Year for Cardigan, Best Pop Performance for Cardigan, and Best Pop Duo slash Group, group Performance for Exile. Um, in addition to the uh, critical success, it was obviously a commercial success. Um, debuted at number one at the Billboard two, uh, Top 200, and it was the highest-selling album of 2020. Just all out across the board. Um, and there's a ton of more surprising statistics about streaming. Like, it was the number one of this. It was on the longest number ones for all the... Like, tons of statistics, but I'm not going to list them because there's too many. You can go look yeah. them up for yourself if you want to. Um, but broke a ton of streaming records. So way to go, Taylor Swift. Because she's the best. She is very good. She's no Blink-182, but uh, we'll let it slide. I think this album worked so well because everyone was anxious amongst the global pandemic. Um, and this came out with, what did I say, June? So that's mm-hmm. what March, because March is when it hit the United States. March, April, May, June. So that's like three, at least three months in. That's enough time for people to be getting cabin yeah. fever and all kind of worry. Um, and these stories are non-biographical or non-autobiographical, which is typical of, of Taylor Swift. So it's... Some of them are, but for the majority of these songs, they're from other people's perspectives, like that quote said mm-hmm. that I read earlier. And so there's a bit of escapism here. Yeah, And um, I also feel like some of these songs are, if they are, like, about her personal experiences, she's more kind of vague about it than in the past. Yeah, she's not on the nose. Because normally, if she has something to say, she says it. Yeah. Maybe she's puts blunt. it out there, so. She's blunt. There's a lot of things she could say, too. Um, and we'll talk about it later, but this is the second album released outside of her uh, contract agreement with, uh, what is it, Big Machine Music Records? Yes. Uh, which was sold to Scooter Braun that caused a whole bunch of issues. Um, some unsavory characters bought and sold her masters and had some control. Um, we'll touch upon that later, though. Shall we dive into the track list? Sure. All right. Track number one is called The One. It's pretty funny that it's... Yes, titled the one. The one. Um, this was one of the two last songs written for the album. Did not know that. The That's other really being interesting. Hoax. So they wrote the first and the last song in this album is bookends. Those are the last, last two songs written. Um, but Taylor goes all in with this song. Um, the first sentence has a big bold curse word in it. So, which is really surprising for fans to hear because she, I don't think she had a curse word in. Any of her songs until it's definitely, I think. She's had maybe one or two before. On Reputation. Yeah, but it took um, her a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. 
she's usually I mean she's a role model for sure um, and she she kept it clean but but here she went all out I did something bad that's the that name the of song? the song I think yeah. that's the first time she curses on an album yeah. so, so she must have considered it really so bad. she definitely I think it's pretty cool that she starts the album like that because yeah. it kind of that puts it on front street that she's yeah and it kind of sets on some the new tone stuff. Yeah. yeah and it like sets the tone of where because like when I heard it for the first time I was like oh, okay this is where we're going I was like all right yeah, but it also sets the tone musically because it's not the big, big anthemic pop songs that, that she's known for. Yeah. Um, it's stripped back. So it's very, very different. Um, it's organic. It's, it's just kind of really nice. Um, the theme of this song is imagining that a failed relationship, like what it would have been if it succeeded, if it succeeded like you could have been the one. Um, it's. I mean, other than that, it's pretty self-explanatory. She goes more in depth, but... It's a good song. It's a really good intro to the album, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to track number two, which is called Cardigan. Um, this was the first single pushed on the album. I believe she had a, a music video pushed out for this one. She sold some cardigans. Yes. Um, and this is the first of a of three connected songs, in, which also include the song August and Betty. Taylor said, and this is a quote from her, there's a collection of three songs I refer to as the Teenage Love Triangle. These three songs explore a love triangle from all three people's perspectives at different times in their lives. So this one takes place from the perspective of Betty, and it's in the future of her looking back. So it's kind of interesting. She's um, she's singing to James, or about James, who chose two girls... Or choose two girls, lose the one. Obviously, so he's he's got some some troubled things going on. Um, that would be the love triangle, I guess. James cheats on Betty in August. This is just a little, a little overview, um, and then asks for forgiveness in Betty. So that's how the three are connected. We'll go more in depth as mm-hmm. we get to those songs. Uh, but in this song, Betty's kind of singing about how um, she knew things were bad, and she talks about being a cardigan like under the bed, and how James mm-hmm. like James would wear her as if he was she was his favorite. Um, there was also some speculation that James was a girl, but yeah, in, she never really clarifies. She did clarify. She did. Um, she, in the she doesn't music say or in, in a statement. She doesn't oh. say James is a boy, but she's saying she said he and his. So oh, okay. So there were pronouns that that uh, clarify it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I really like in this song when she says, "Because I knew everything when I was young." Mm-hmm. Um, and that dismisses the earlier sentence that pops up a bunch of times when they when she says, when you are young, they assume you know nothing. So mm-hmm. she's kind of dismissing what they are. I don't know if it's the man mm-hmm. or, or who, whoever that is, critics. And I think it also is kind of um, in her personal life, too. A lot of times people never really took what she had to say seriously and kind of wrote her off because she was young. Um, because she was young. So yeah. I think that this is... Kind of her way of saying that she didn't know things when she was younger. And she said, I knew everything when I was young. Mm-hmm. It also, I think, connects to the song Betty when James says, uh, I'm only 17, I don't know anything. So she's saying, well, I yeah. when I was young, I knew everything. So she's okay. kind of calling him out there. Yeah. Really good song, really catchy. Yeah, and even though it's part of the, you know, kind of this story that she created, these three songs that are kind of connected for this story, it... Definitely reminded me of the Reputation era because Taylor Swift is very known to go through eras with her albums, and this one kind of reminded me of that um, because she um, talks about how 
um, you know, with the cardigan under the bed and everything in this relationship that she's in now that she's kept very private. Um, she's been known to say that he kind of like found her at a time when she didn't feel like she was everybody's favorite person anymore. Um, like a cardigan thrown under the bed. Right. So she's she's got her own things thrown in there. Yeah, so. And all these songs that are connected stand on their own. Um, they don't, like a lot of times with concept albums, um, you could argue that this could be one or that this isn't. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But often with concept albums, there are songs that necessarily don't stand by themselves. You need them yeah. in the context of the record. Yeah. This is not the case here. No. And then also, uh, one really cool thing I think about this song is the line about um, Peter losing Wendy. I think oh, that's yeah. a really cool line yeah. because then she also brings in. When I first heard that line, I instantly connected it with later when she goes chasing shadows because in Peter Pan. He's chasing a shadow. chasing a shadow. And I thought that that was so cool. It's like kind of like Clever. remembering when you're young and then growing older and kind of how Wendy chose to go back to her own life. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Word. Moving on to track number three. This song's called The Last Great American Dynasty. If I had to guess, I'd say it's one of your favorites. Well, yeah, because she says my name. Yep. The name is Rebecca. And it's not spelled the same, but we can just let that slide. Spelled R E B A K A H. Like in biblical. Yeah, yeah. R A B E K A H. Rebecca. Yes. Um, specifically, Rebecca Harkness. Yes. Um, which I remember her talking briefly about this in that uh, Disney Plus thing, but I uh, learned a heck of a lot more about her. She married Bill Harkness, who was a wealthy. Um, he kind of stumbled in some old money because his family was like an oil oil tycoon, like big, mm-hmm. big, big money. Um, he had a heart attack, survived, had another heart attack and died after um, the two of them were married. And so she inherited everything. Oh, wow. Ton of money. So she was one of the wealthiest women at the time, I believe. Um, and she, um, she had houses in multiple places, but uh, Rebecca and Bill had a house in Rhode, um, Island? In Rhode Island, yeah, called the, uh, the Holiday, Holiday House. Which eventually was bought by Taylor. Pretty cool. So it is pretty cool. And Taylor sings about how um, Rebecca Harkness kind of had lavish parties and and uh, would fill her pools with champagne and all kind of crazy things. And how the town thought maybe she killed her husband. And they was just speculation. Like they, I don't know if they thought it was true or not, but they would like whisper about it and. Um, just a lot of unsavory things. So Taylor uh, essentially um, likens a lot of things that the media says about her to what Rebecca Harkness would, was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that, obviously, when she switches pronouns in the song. Like, like uh, uh, for the first two-thirds of the song, um, when Taylor's singing about Rebecca, she said, she had a wonderful time ruining everything. But after Taylor buys the house, it's I had I a wonderful have, yeah. time. So I didn't, when I heard the song the first few times, I, I wondered why she switched pronouns. I was like, why is it her and now why is it I? Um, but that makes sense because mm-hmm. she obviously bought the house yeah. and they, they kind of have, not obviously not the same story, but um, went through some some of the similar trials and tribulations. And I kind of wonder if like there's a line in the song, I'm not going to repeat it because there's a not nice word, but she talks about how Rebecca had um, like a pack of friends. I believe they were called that in real life. And it kind of reminded me of like 
know, like the Rat Pack and all that yeah. with them. But then also Taylor Swift kind of has that, like all the girls in the Bad Blood video and her kind of like group of girlfriends that like stuck behind her with everything. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool because um, that definitely relates to her personally. She always has like this group of girls with her yep. and, and they seem pretty tight, even though they're all celebrities and really busy. They yeah. seem like they're super tight and just normal with each other. And there could be a reference to the song Mad Woman on here. Oh, yeah. Because um, they talk about how the town made her like always said she's the maddest woman. Yeah. Definitely. She was always mad at the town for, for them trying to say bad things about her. Um, but we'll talk about that whenever we talk about Mad Woman. For now, let's move on to track number four, which is called Exile. This is my first recommendation, probably my second favorite song on the album, if I had to, to say. Um, it's featuring and co-written by Justin Vernon, um, made famous from the group Bon Iver. Or Bonnie Vare. Yeah, that's... I don't know the correct pronunciation. Well... Since I have an American accent, it's Bon Iver. Yeah, that's If I was French, it would be Boney There. Yeah. Or if you're Jesse Titus, Boney There. Yeah, that's the only way I've ever known how to say it. And I've only ever heard people say it until I moved to Nashville. Um, bon Iver yeah, is what I said. Bon Iver. So. Um, yeah. But uh, Justin Vernon was connected to Taylor Swift through Aaron Desner because Justin Vernon and Aaron Desner have a rock band together called Big Red Machine. I don't know if you knew that, but they did not. Um, kind of through their own little tiny mini grapevine made this connection mm-hmm. and uh, she reached out and asked if he wanted to be on this and he's like, yeah. yeah. Which, if I'm not mistaken, isn't she like personally a huge Don Iver fan? So yeah. it was kind of like a fangirl moment for her yeah. that she got to have him on the album. He's known for like sad songs about breakups. So it's fitting on this one. Uh, Taylor has confirmed that the song is about ex-lovers um, whose relationship failed because miscommunications. Um, they end up seeing each other and kind of sharing a moment and then have miscommunications again as to why it failed. Hmm. Um, so they obviously have a misunderstanding where the other's coming from. Um, but it's, it's just a really, really nice song. I really like at the end when they're each singing and echoing each other's vocal parts. Um, I like that part too. Oh, I do. It, it's so really, it's just really, really good. I really like it because when she is kind of singing in that part, I don't know if it's intentional, but she is very, her voice is kind of like, she's like not holding Airy. back, but it's airy and him he's kind of like got a boominess to his voice right so it kind of sounds like he's kind of yell not yelling but like they're in an argument back and forth Mm -hmm. and he's like super like this is this this and this but then she's saying like she's kind of like giving up like she's just like being airy and laid back kind of like well i gave you so many signs and all this stuff and she's Mm -hmm. just kind of like it is what it is. Like, I can't do yeah. anything. And he's like, but... And he's kind of, like, more fighting for it. Yeah, and it, it crescendos, like, strings built in, and they get it gets kind of really big by the end, and that part gives me goosebumps. Uh, but it's kind of really, really sad, because, like, they each have their own idea of why the relationship failed, and they can't right. understand the other's point of view. Yeah. The song makes me want to like Bon Iver more than I do. Yeah, and I think there's a line in there... Um, where it kind of makes, he's, he's kind of saying that the new person that she's with is kind of like a backup. It's like, um, not as good as him. And, and he's, he's realizing that and, and 
it, it is kind of heartbreaking to yeah, listen the, the to and think of that. The guy he sees her with, she said, you probably see him as your understudy. Yeah. And that's... And she thought he would get into a fight for her. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's notable that this song was also co-written by William Bowery, a.k.a. And who's that? Joe... How do you pronounce his last name? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Taylor Swift's boyfriend. That, you know, nobody really knows much about their relationship. It's so. He's more normal, more of a uh, regular person. So yeah. we think, I don't know. But so, yeah. He, and his co write is under a pseudonym. Yeah, you really. And, and I think, I don't know if that was done so that before the album came out, it was kind of secretive, but. Probably. Who once knows? it. The fans knew right away. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep on the uh, emotional roller coaster with track number five, which is called My Tears Ricochet. Um, ricocheting, for those of you who don't know, is uh, when one object bounces off of another. Like ricochet? Uh, potato, potato. Um, this was the first song written for the album, believe it or not. That's really cool. Um, that actually, that explains a lot, that... About what it's about? Yeah, that's like... It's not confirmed, but a lot of fans think that this could be directed at Scott Bor- Borchetta? Borchetta? So. Borchetta, like on a crack... On he a owns big, big Machine Records. Um, he's the one who went behind her back. Because there was, a, a, um, I believe, some understanding between he and Taylor that she would be able to... Or at least given the option to buy her masters back. Right. But he went behind her back and sold them to Scooter Braun, which had a, a bit of a... Was an adversary of, of, of Taylor's. Um, mm-hmm. Not on on good grounds, and this definitely um, opened right. old wounds and poured a lot of salt into them. Right, and as a fan, I choose to believe that theory because if it's true, perfectly legal. It is so it's perfectly legal, and it's very, but yeah. it's also a, a very scumbag move. Right. Yeah. But if Greasy I choose, music industry. yeah, I choose to believe the theory that this song is about that because it makes a lot if, of sense. Yeah, if she wrote, if this is the first song she wrote, and if it if it is about that, it's just great. Yeah. Well, here's what Taylor says it's about. She says it's about an embittered tormentor showing up at the funeral of his fallen object of affection. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's uh, some truth. Like she says the line, if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? Um, another one says, um, you hear my stolen, stolen lullabies. lullabies. Um, so... Could be both. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you think about it, like Taylor Swift kind of like, I mean, he does have other, you know, very yeah. successful artists on his label. But I mean, I don't think anybody is as was as close as Taylor Swift in the success. No. Um. So, I mean, she kind of made That's him That's one he bridge was. you cannot rebuild. Correct. Yeah. Um, so... Musically, though, it's really, really catchy. There's some strings in the chorus that I think are very poignant. Um, on track number six, sure. it's called Mirror Ball. Had to look it up. That is a disco ball. Yes. I was just thinking, before that, I was wondering, I was like, maybe it's just a ball that's made of mirror. <laughs> no, I've heard I've heard people call a, a disco ball a mirror ball. I think that's what it, maybe it was called before there was a dis, disco was a thing. I don't know. I thought disco balls were invented when disco was invented. I don't know. Um, it's a little seems to be a little more autobiographical um, than the other songs. Um, I think it's about how others see her and maybe how she reacts and tries to um, put on. I don't know if a persona or how she tries to act, um, but it's it's kind of not not really happy. No. Um, 
But on a funny note, uh, during the chorus, I keep thinking that she says, you'll find me on my tallest toilet. No. But she says tiptoes. Tiptoes. Very different than toilet. But it sounds like toilet until she says... Yeah. um, Because the word tallest, I think she says toilet, but she says tallest. (laughs) So it's almost like toilet. Yeah. I was like, wow, why is she doing up on that toilet? And to piggyback off of that, from a fan's perspective, whenever, I mean, whenever I listen at, to Taylor Swift stuff, like, I would say I'm, like, a super fan for Taylor Swift, I always try to find the little hidden Easter eggs, which she does all the time. She loves to do that, to hide things for her fans, and I feel like this song maybe is um, going back to an old song. She sings um, in an old song um, called Begin Again about how he didn't, she says he didn't like it when I wore high heels, but I do. Um, And in this song, she says, on my tallest tiptoes, spinning in my highest heels for you. So I think that's really cool, kind of like maybe showing how she is when she's not in the light. She feels like she can be in her high heels and... Referential there. Mm-hmm. Track number seven is called Seven. Definitely on purpose. Uh, but it's also about her being at the age of seven. So yeah. all kinds of non-coincidences. And maybe possibly about the album Lover. Could be. I think. Because if I'm not mistaken, that's number seven. And this song is about maybe like feeling confident when she was seven years old. Or maybe finally finding her confidence with the album Lover. Yeah, this is the one where she's on a swing. Yes. Kind of going all, all above the Pennsylvania ground. Um, but I really like the first verse um, before she gets into the, it's either a chorus or pre-chorus, but she's she sings in a super airy voice and it's got this almost like ethereal vibe going on. It's really kind of out there. It's pretty cool. Um, but it gets kind of dark later on in the song when she's singing to a about a friend who oh, yeah. maybe had an abusive father. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it's not, it doesn't say that for sure, but if from a seven year old's perspective, yeah, like there's ghosts in your house and you're that your dad yelling at or something. I, I can't remember specifically what she says, but it's seems like it's about a, a friend who had an abusive father and was like, Oh, would always go hide in the closet or cry in the bedroom, or like try and be, like get away. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, kind of dark seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on to a different song, track number eight is called August, eighth month of the year. Track number eight, maybe, could yeah. be a connection. Um, maybe that's just how it felt. You never know. This Taylor is, Swift is very intentional about things, um, but you never know. You never Some things know. could be coincidence. I, I would be surprised if it was on. I wouldn't be surprised though if this was on purpose. This is the second song in the quote-unquote teenage love triangle. Yes. This is from the perspective of the other woman who James cheats on Betty with. Uh, We don't have a name for this other woman. Do you know what the woman? Um, I'm fairly certain it is. Um, But uh, like some people thought maybe it's Inez. Inez? I don't think it is. I think that's just a... A name, a friend. a friend, a name that fits the other one. Because it wouldn't be, Inez is telling secrets to Betty. Or in, in, in later songs, Inez pops up and she's talking to Betty a lot. I think this is somebody who doesn't know Betty. 
I think it's just somebody else. Or is that obviously not friends with Betty. Right. Um, but uh, anyways, she has an affair with James in August, in the summer. Um, and though she may have longed for it, I think she was aware it wasn't. It was just a temporary thing. Yeah. Because um, the, the refrain thing. comes back that because uh, you were never mine, you're never mine to lose, like all that kind of thing. So, um, you know, and, and James does say, in bed, the song Betty, if I told you it was just a summer thing. So this is what it's referencing. Yeah. For sure. Um, but like you always in movies, books, TV shows, whatever, the other woman is, is always a like a a bad person. Right. And here this, she's more of like a faux antagonist. She's not. You, you feel a lot of sympathy for her, I think, because she seems like a genuine person searching for love. And it's kind of heartbreaking at the end. Um the line that comes back a couple times is when she says, back when I was living for the hope of it all. And then the hope of it all comes back quite a few times. And it's kind of of sad. And then you remember, well, James shouldn't have been fooling around with this girl. (laughs) It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to find the sympathy. but Yeah, but Taylor does a way of uh, giving you sympathy from all three perspectives, I think. Mm -hmm. Track number nine is called This Is Me Trying. Um... It wasn't my favorite song musically, except for these really, really nice saxophones that are panned all over the place. They're just really soothing and sad at the same time. I, I, I thought whoever decided to put the saxophones in there just had a really good idea. I think that's the, the best part of this song. It's really, really cool. This song makes me very sad. Um, yeah, it's a sad song. Uh, it's where the narrator is, whoever the narrator is, is apologizing and wanting to rekindle a relationship. Um, maybe not a direct reference, but could be a similar, like a similar situation to James's current plight, um, wanting Betty back, especially because there's a line in this song about, like, I don't know if I could be at the party with the deep, these deep wounds. Mm-hmm. Maybe, or maybe it's a stretch. Yeah. I kind of, when I first heard it, I instantly thought of like when she kind of disappeared from the public eye for a little while mm-hmm. um, because everybody had, you know, she all around her, people were saying things about her and um, it kind of broke her down and she stepped away from the light for a while. And it made me really sad because that part where she's um, she's like talking to a bartender yeah, and she's kind of like saying that she... I poured out my soul to a stranger, stranger, but I didn't pour the whiskey. So she could have gone down that. She. It sounds like she was in that place where she could have gone down the, the route yeah. of like drinking. She was like, that was her pain. And she could have done it, but she chose not to. Yeah. So it was like sad to think that she got to that point where she was like even considering yeah. that. So. Good song though. Moving on to track number 10, which is called Illicit Affairs. A lot of big words in this song. Um... Uh, I think the title says it all. Um, it's about yeah. uh, two people having an illicit affair. <laughs> um, don't know if it seems. I don't know if it's just a secret relationship they don't want people to know about, or if one of them's already involved. Um, but obviously, he doesn't want uh, his friends to know because she says, "Tell your roommates you've been running, because you'll come back with your face flushed." That's oh, a little, yeah. little graphic. <laughs> Especially for Taylor Swift. There's, yeah, there's some graphic things she puts out here. Well, not, not super graphic, America's but sweetheart. more on the nose than, <laughs> than she normally is. Um, 
maybe a runaround reference to James's affair in August. I don't yeah. know. I think I'm putting a little too much uh, connections between those three songs. No, that definitely. Or maybe or, this is just something that stands on its own. I don't know. Or it could be about her and Joe, like how they were at the beginning when she was having keeping it secret. She, yeah, nobody really knew yeah. anything about it. Um, I, I'm surprised to read things like dating back to I think 2016, 2017 of them meeting. Time. Because yeah, I didn't even know she was dating him then nobody did no one did yeah and she had kind of you that know stepped goal. back at the time so i kind of thought of it as like their moments of like meeting like behind mm-hmm. closed doors and like doing everything that they could to like keep it a secret even between their friends or roommates right yeah, yeah. Uh, i really like the melody that kind of winds its way throughout the song that was, that was my favorite part was the melody yeah. I, I, this is one of the ones that i i starred on my initial listen because it, it caught me um, but I did like the next song better. Track number 11 is called Invisible String. This is my honorable mention. Oh. Um, it's really, really nice. It's got this staccato arpeggiating strings. Yes. And um, they're kind of real pointy and real, um, I don't know, sticky. Um, but it's really, really, really cool sounding. Um, and I really like this descending melody that she has at the end of the chorus. That uh, me, that one. Mm-hmm. Um mainly because the very last time she does it, it's over these minor sounding chords. So by switching up the chord progression at the end, it sounds like it almost, it, it sounds like a different song yeah. partially, but almost sounds like she's doing something different, but it's just really cool. Almost like a reverse Picardy third, but not really. Yeah. Music theory stuff. I really like the lyrics in the song. I think. The string tying someone to somebody else. And she even says, isn't it just so. Fate. Yeah. And. Uh, I think this is a song where she mentions buying her ex's baby's presents. And that's this one or not, but that's a strange line. Yes, and actually that I heard her talk about is about Joe Jonas. Um, Uh She just thinks how it's like weird and crazy to think that now, you know, there was a time where she didn't talk to him, but now she's past it. And she just sent her, she was like, and I did, I, I sent... His baby a present. <laughs> Time can heal all wounds. Yeah. If you let it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, but it's not going to heal every wound. Um, especially not if you have a really mad woman in your hands. Track number 12. Is this the first F bomb? Yes, it is. Uh, low, really direct sounding voice that she's got. She sounds really intense in that verse. Yeah. Um, and yeah. This is the first F-bomb that she has in a, any song. Yes. Not this, the last. No. This was exciting to hear. Yeah, it was because <laughs> she says, uh, "Do you, is F you forever. Are you reading the lips on my lips? Yeah. F you forever is what mm-hmm. she says. It's pretty crazy. Um, this could be a reference to Rebecca, like we said, from the last Great American Dynasty. Um, or it could be a reference to herself. Um, Scott Borchata, like all these people may, are like calling her crazy. Like the, you made me this, like yeah, they call me crazy. I'm more crazy. Make me angry. I'm going to be more angry. Mm-hmm. Um, so could be self, um, autobiographical there. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought. It's kind of the, yeah. the note that I wrote down. Nothing um, like a mad woman. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the part where she is saying, um, Wanting me dead has really brought you two together. Yeah. Maybe how Scott and Scooter kind of. Because it's not just one person brought you two. So there's 
Yeah. There's some conspiracy going on there. I mean, before that, were they, did they really have a business relationship before that? And now they've kind of. I don't know. I think that that might be. Good song, though. Part of it. But not as good as track number three, Epiphany. And this is my favorite song on the record. Really? Really. Um, Even before I read the lyrics, uh, I just really liked the arrangement and the melody. Um, But once I read the lyrics, I was like, whoa. It's very heavy. Um, It parallels PTSD between doctors and nurses and soldiers. In particular, um, and I don't know if I necessarily read into this as much as as it is, but she has confirmed this, that it was inspired by her grandfather, who was in the Guadalcanal Guadalcanal or something. She talks about that. And it's pretty sure it's referencing doctors and nurses, like the frontline workers during coronavirus. Because they talk about a lot of breathing issues, seeing people through plastic, having to hold hands. Um, It's really, really sad. Um, And she's got these, again, airy vocals. I think that's kind of what she, that's her aesthetic singing wise. Uh, But it's backed by this droning organ. um, And it's just really, really haunting. It is. And yeah. and I think that it might have been the first, well, it is the first song I've really heard about Thinking COVID. about the COVID, yeah. Um, I, I really like the verse when she starts singing about the the doctors and nurses. When it's something med school yeah. did not cover. Yeah. Somebody, someone's daughter, someone's mm-hmm. mother. Yeah. Really, really just intense song, mm-hmm. but it's my favorite on the record. Yeah. Epiphany. How do you get those 20 minutes to the side to sleep in between your shifts? Or yeah, if you're a soldier, really the 20 minutes in between whatever you're, you're doing. Yeah. yeah, that song's really eye-opening. Yeah. But in ways, the next song is eye-opening for other reasons. Track number 14 is called Betty, and it is my last recommendation. This is probably my favorite second favorite besides it's hard for me to choose favorites yeah um this whole album (laughs) i think is great but this song is really great yes it is the final song in the teenage love triangle trilogy um i would say that this is the most upbeat and poppy song on the record um last great american dynasty was another Mm -hmm. upbeat yes uh, one but this one i say is more poppy um, and this one's got plenty of radio play. I can confirm that because we put country music radio on for the dogs to sleep at night. And I hear the song on the radio all the time. But I don't hear the F word on the radio. No, she definitely had to change it up a little bit. Yeah, the F word pops up in every chorus. Which, I mean, was a shock. I did not expect that at all. No. And I mean, I'm not complaining about it, but it it was so surprising to hear that when I heard the album for the first time. Because that's not... Yeah you expected musically i really like the way each chorus builds up from the other the first one has this nice like picked arpeggiated guitar Mm -hmm. second one's got a strum guitar and then there's some accenting guitars in the background the third one um they key shift upwards for for effect but they also Mm -hmm. have got loud guitars tons of uh accented instruments and other accompaniments it's just like it's a really big chorus by the end really nice It kind of reminds me of um, the setup of another one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs um, from a different album. Is this one that I know? All Too Well. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, and 
some fans have actually mashed the two together and it sounds pretty amazing. Um, you, you played that for me. Yeah, it, it sounds does, really it fits cool. really well. And, it, and, and the way that it kind of builds is like, reminds me of that. And um, I think All Too Well is a favorite for a lot of people. So I think maybe that's why this song is also probably a favorite for a lot of people. Agreed. Um, but like I said, last of the trilogy, those three songs, and this was written from Betty... Betty's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, oh no, I'm sorry. This is from. Yeah, wait, it's James. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Betty was seeing Cardigan. I, I misspoke. This is from this, James. The, the song is called Betty. This is from James' perspective. He is, this is post affair. Mm-hmm. He is trying to make it up to Betty. They've, they've clearly broken up at this point. Right. Um, but he's trying to apologize profusely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's already tried to apologize, but hasn't happened uh, apparently betty's having a party and he's debating whether or not to show up at the end it seems like he does show up but we don't know what happens no it ends with um i know i miss you so i don't think it ends good yeah. and clearly with uh, the song cardigan where she's some somewhere in the future th- singing about this i don't think they get together yeah that's kind of a sad way too where he says but i know i miss you yeah very folky song. Very. Yeah. And I yes. like that it's being Harmonica. played on country music. Mm-hmm. I think that's back to her roots a little. Yeah, bit. a little bit. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of cool. She's kind of found a way to bring the two together. But no, no happy story for the the two in the end. They don't get what I would call peace, which reminds me of track number fifteen called Peace. Peace. P E A C Peace. Um, another more autobiographical song. It seems like, and it's talking about the burden that she'll eventually dump on. Um, Anyone that she dates who's not a celebrity, which is her current boyfriend, I believe. Yeah. Um, because she knows that she can give people love, but she can't give them peace from peace. the stardom or the tabloids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like the harmony on the uh, the guitars. I believe the bass doubles at one point in time. Um, I believe it's parallel fifths, which sometimes is a big no-no in music theory. But as we know, music theory, the rules are there so that you can break them. Uh, I think it sounds really cool. Like, you know, that, mm-hmm. that guitar part. I'm yeah. not doing it justice. You got to hear it to, to hear the harmonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds really cool. I, I bet you that was, um, what's his face? Is Des, Aaron Desner's influence. A lot of national influence on here. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, Quite a fine song, though. And, and I didn't, I don't have this in my notes, but I think this is the song... Where she says a line, I'm, I'm a big lyrics person, so uh, she says, but there's robbers to the east and clowns to the west. And I'm kind of wondering if the clowns to the west is Kanye West and all his people, and robbers to the east is you, Scooter and Scott? You wouldn't be the first to think so. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of what I thought about because I was like, West, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So, Some people have also made connections to Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower. Um, there must be some kind of way out of here, said so the Joker to the Thief. But probably not. Or maybe Clowns to the Left and me, Jokers to the Right. I don't know. Yeah, I would really, really love it if that it was theory Kanye was true. Because it could be. A lot yeah, of people have I, made that connection as yeah. well. Because when I listen to it... Um, Again, another really kind of sad song to hear because it seems like the relationship she's in now, he's got a pretty normal life. 
It's not Joe Jonas. Right. Or Harry and, Styles. And she can't even go to the grocery store. No. So. Yeah. I'm just going to say that that line is about Kanye West because I would love it if she called him a clown. Very well could be. I hope it is. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, but moving on to the final track on the album. Track number 16 is called Hoax. Yes. Um, for the most part, it's mainly just a piano and a single vocal but, um, part. part. But there are some light strings and accompaniment that come in later to, to build upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, very sad sounding. But also pretty. Oh, yeah. It's very pretty. Um, it's uh, probably one of the more stripped back songs on the record. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's about a rocky and trying, like the, all the rocky and trying moments of a relationship, but it doesn't seem like the relationship's failed or failing. It just seems like they're kind of working through it still. Right. Hard to, hard to say because it's vague, but that's what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting closer, though. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was about to say, all in all, what's what's your thoughts on the album? But I know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I I really liked it. I didn't know what to expect, especially when she announced it yeah. just 16 hours before. Um, but I really, really like it. It's very different for her. And she, like, as someone who's kind of around the same age as her, I got to kind of grow up with her and her styles. Um, so it's kind of cool to see the where she's at now, where she's like, you know, cursing. What are we going to do now that our 20s are over? Yeah. And <laughs> she, um, yeah, so that was kind of cool because I feel like I've always had like a song from Taylor Swift for every phase in my life. Yeah, and this sense. was definitely an album that I think a lot of her fans needed during 2020. Um, and a lot of people say Taylor Swift saved 2020, but. And not only did she release folklore in 2020 but at the end of 2020 in the beginning of december she released evermore yes. the sister album uh, again announced half before. a day before it was released um mm-hmm. i th- might like that one i've only listened to that one once but i think there are songs on there that i like better than a lot of the songs on here but i'd have to listen to that one the whole way yeah. through again to get better comparisons mm-hmm. uh, but i really like um folklore uh the storytelling i think it's really different especially from what I know about Taylor Swift's song. I'm not as big a Taylor Swift fan as yeah. you, so I don't know all of her catalog. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's really, really cool. Um, tons of songs that are, are literally um, written to be uh, companion pieces to other songs like that Love Triangle series of songs. But there's also other right. songs that have connections all over the place in this album. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tons of songs that reference her previous albums or other things that you would only know if you knew Taylor Swift's life. Um, hidden easter eggs that probably even the most hardcore fans probably won't find right um so if you really want to delve in you can find all kind of stuff that is there or isn't there right Uh, really interesting Mm -hmm. Um, i believe that aaron desner co-wrote more songs with her than jack antonoff Mm -hmm. um and i said it before but i think that's why you get more of the aesthetic on this album than than uh kind of more national sounding a little more national influenced if you never listened to the band The National, um, just go check out some of their big songs. And you'll you'll know what I mean. Um, it makes me want to like The National more yeah. than I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're they're an interesting band. And there are some um, speculation that there is a third album to this. Ever folk. Um, but more lore. Taylor Swift was asked about that, and her response was, "I'm just really tired." 
So I don't know. Because there was, I mean, there was one bonus track for this, and there was two bonus tracks on um, the second album. So that's what seven, seventeen plus eighteen, whatever that mm-hmm. is. There's the 30, 35 yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. And who knows, maybe there's even more that didn't make the cut entirely. Yeah, but she said the reason Evermore came out was because they just couldn't stop writing music. They they just got in a groove, so. And there's some solid stuff on there. But all in all, good album. I'm glad I listened to it and delved in the whole way through. I'm glad you listened to it, too. Yeah. So, uh, did you enjoy being on this podcast? Yeah, this is pretty fun. I'm no Jesse Titus. Well, there's only one Jesse Titus, but there's also only one Becca. This is true. Yeah. But... Um, yes, this has been fun. Looking forward to next week. I don't know what what uh, episode we'll be recording. Will that be Childish Gambino? Your guess is as good as mine because that one's been being talked about for a long time and it's still not here. Um, maybe it'll be a one-off. Maybe it'll be a freeform. It'll happen regardless. We'll figure out a way. And uh, Jesse will be back. Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. We'll see. Um, but uh, if you want to give us a, some constructive criticism... Say something that you like, didn't like. Uh, if you just want to say hi, if you want to recommend an album, um, you can reach us at any of the social medias. Just look up American Brews and Tunes, um, and we respond very quickly because we've got nothing else to do, and no one else ever reaches out to us. And please don't say anything mean about me. I'll delete Thank those you. comments. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the non-alcoholic beer after having sipped it throughout the episode? I really, I like it. I would drink it for sure. And again, I said it, it's it's good for me because I feel like I'm having a beer, but I'm not falling asleep. Well, it's true. You're not falling asleep. I would know that um, because I would see your eyes close. Um, What I'd say this is if I wasn't drinking for dry January or sober October, this would be a splendid beer to have. Um, Would I prefer a real beer? Yes, but this does just fine. I'm going to go try and see if they will ID me. You're going to try and buy some? Yeah, I want to see what happens. Um, but let's let's go ahead and finish this beer and sign off. As we always say on American Brews and Tunes, down the guest host hatch. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Stephen Johnston. I'm Becca. Thanks for having me. And this is American Brews and Tunes. Yay! Here's a theme song, you know it's not a mean song It's a good song, just as it should song American